Musical stylings for ITP, aka In the Pocket, are provided by Graphic Millet. His music is available where fine music is sold. In the Pocket, a talk show that showcases Mainers, who are people of color. Each episode represents a member of the Maine community from art, culture, and business, the earth, wind, and fire of life. Embracing and exploring the Black diaspora and descendants of American slavery through conversation is the foundational concept of In the Pocket. The overall mission of In the Pocket is to create conversational space for all people of color that is documented and celebrated through sharing of life experiences. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. I'm Flo Edwards. I'll be the host today for okay. In The Pocket. Okay. It's a podcast about BIPOC Mainers. And so I'm glad that you are one of our BIPOC Mainers. Uh, and we're going to be talking with Jorge Pena, who is an, are you a retired entomologist? Retired, retired yes. And full-time um, painter. Is that the only medium that you use? The, yes, yes, so far. Nice. <laughs> and so I love this story about being from Colombia. I love your story. And then coming to Maine, kind of for retirement, is that? Yeah, right? for retirement. That's that's correct. Yes. Yeah. So, can you tell me a little bit about when you came to the states? Were you an entomologist in the oh, states or in Colombia? Both places. In Colombia, I was an entomologist for an international center for tropical agriculture, and then I got a master's degree, a scholarship at Pursuit in Entomology and then a PhD assistantship. And then I started working with insects attacking tropical fruit. So that's, yeah, that's how it started. I feel like that's an ongoing study, like insects attacking oh, yeah. fruit, yes, right? yes. Oh yeah, that's, that will be the forever battle between insects and man, or we can say perhaps, you know, more convivial. <laughs> way of man managing for the humans to manage insects that's that, it was fascinating it sounds fascinating i mean i'm afraid of bugs overall <laughs> but i'm trying to respect them more and not just kill them instantly yeah especially spiders they're really yeah. handy um were spiders a part of any of that research uh as a matter of fact in the entomology entomological branches Spiders is one of them, but I really didn't pursue study of spiders. But one of my students, she had a vast knowledge of spiders. So basically she educated me with the spiders and seeing how, you know, effective they are preying on, on other insects. So I, I have never been afraid of spiders. I remember working in tropical groves and the spiders even they even landed in your in your mouth and you're like oh this doesn't belong here so that's <laughs> that's i know i'm not afraid of the spiders i love how you put that this this doesn't belong here it's in my mouth <laughs> but it's otherwise fine yeah <laughs> um you said that as a child you were always a very creative drawer 
and you didn't think that art was a field for you because you felt like art was for the wealthy. Can you expand on that a little bit more? Yes, at uh, that time, uh, people who pursue art careers uh, must have another source of income or have something that they inherit from their, or their parents were rich. My family could not afford that, so I could not go into that career. So I went in toward one that I like it. And also I knew I would get a, a job doing it and enjoying it. Therefore, that was the choice that I made. And when I look at a lot of your art, which is gorgeous, it's it's got all this texture. I feel sadness, I feel joy. I feel like a multitude of emotions looking at your art, which is really nice, even when it seems like it's like a happy scene or a sad scene, like I'm still feeling the range, which thank you for sharing that with us. I thought I would see insects in your art and I didn't see any insects. <laughs> so far, there is only one painting that has insect wings and they have become part of petal, petals of a hibiscus flower. And I have several hibiscus flowers with uh, the patterns of uh, wing, you know, insect wing patterns in there. And this belongs into a collection of a lady in Wisconsin, but she doesn't see insect wings. She sees people in there. So, which is amazing. And I think that's one of the reasons why she bought it because she saw people, which I'm being accused of that always someone is lurking inside of my paintings. I was like, well, that could very well be. I love that. Someone is always lurking inside of your paintings. Several people have said that. One of my teachers said it, Lynn Goldmick said it. There's always people in your paintings and there is always someone there. And I'm like, that wasn't the objective or the point of the painting. But I said, subconsciously, I could have done that because when I paint, my mind goes into a, a really different planet. And I don't want to get out from, from that planet into to this planet. That's what I hate when people disturb me and I'm, I'm painting. I'm like, don't come in um, because it's going to be very difficult for me to go back and regain that or be with that. Yeah, I don't know. It is a process between the painting and myself that is kind of weird. I know it sounds weird, but it's true. That's how I feel. I feel that there is a process. There is a conversation between the painting and myself, and that's where it's going to guide me to a final point. And yes, there might be some things that they might look happy, but there's one of my paintings is comes from the devastation of the uh, a forest in Colombia, and it's a very sad. It's a very sad painting, but people say, "But it's beautiful." I said, "I didn't want it to look." I want people to look at it. I want people to see, okay, all that uh, smoke and fire in the in tropical forests is happening, which is pretty bad, but you can get something and people start thinking, okay, let's see the context of this, what originated this painting. That's what it was. It was just a sad topic. And, but then I decided to make it beautiful and I think it looks beautiful but it's a caution in there like you know there is beauty in here but it's not it's, it's really not beautiful to me it's, that's the way that I look at it. 
<clears throat> when you were talking about the the fires and the smoke and it not being beautiful, but people seeing the beauty in it, it made me think of rose bushes. Like, because they have the thorns, but they're so gorgeous. <laughs> but you're like, oh, I can't touch it. And <laughs> you got to be careful. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, be, be careful, but look at it. Uh, someone asked me that. What would be the most ugly subject that you could you could make something pretty out of it? And I said, Hung children being hungry. I said there is something not so uglier than that that at this time there are children going hungry. And I said I think that's horrible. And but I will try to make something. And I made it, and they said, Well, yeah, it looks happy. I said, but the context was that. Children were extending their hands to say, you know, feed me, I'm hungry. And, but that was the task that I was asked. And so I said, okay, this is what I created. But next time I'll do it more sad, if you wish. <laughs> I, I do have paintings that they are, for instance, after the George Floyd uh, killing, I made a painting in which people are protesting and there's, there's a lot of anguish into it. I have not been back been back and look at that painting because that I left it as is really uh, there was a lot of sadness in there at least for me and so that's that's that that was not a happy it's not a happy painting but I don't look at it have have not looked at it for a long time. Does making your art help you have like a happy demeanor because like. You know, meeting you, you're just bubbly. <laughs> <laughs> I try to see humor on everything. And this time in my life, somebody said, we cannot, we cannot afford a sad moment in, because, you know, I'm, I'm old. And, and, you know, how many more years can I'm, I'd rather, hey, let's try to be as happy as, enjoy life. Enjoy life, enjoy your family. And that's what I do. Even though sometimes I get, angry or something, but hey, we all are allowed a quota of those those feelings, right? So, but the good thing is to, hey, it's raining, hey, we're above ground. That's what I tell my neighbors when they complain, I said, we're above ground. <laughs> and, yeah. that, and that's what I think we should remember. And so that's, but that's me anyway. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. Um, my coworkers will tell you that I always say every day above ground is a good day. Bingo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Keep it simple and you'll be happy. Yeah. So. Yeah. That is true. I was curious, how long were you an entomologist? If you happen to count five years in Colombia, I would say like around 40 years, 14 years. Yeah. And did you go back to school? Because you talked about your teacher when you were talking about art. Oh, it, uh, well, after I retired, or after I retired, I did not go back to teach to, to schools. I still, if I'm, I'm asked to give a seminar or two classes on something that I might have the knowledge, uh, like for instance, I taught last year to Myanmar uh, growers. It was a Zoom class, which wasn't, you know, wasn't the best experience for me. But no, I have not gone back. You know, after I got my, my PhD, you know, I went to workshops because I feel uh, meetings, because I, you always learn from your colleagues. You, there is some, always you carry, you get something out of 
their work and saying, okay, you know, think about this. And that's what I used to do. I used to go to, to seminars and see who had the knowledge for this that can help me. And, and that was really the point in my career was just cooperating with others and, hey, teach me, I'm ready to learn, so. I love that. Yeah. How are you doing that in the art world? It, I'm doing the same. <laughs> I'm still doing the same. I think I do all the change in the way that I paint to several people and they really have been instrumental and they're really, really good. There is a artist, uh, Skip Lawrence, there is a fellow artist here in Maine, John Lawrence. There is Adeline Goldmink, Tronso, both of those from Maine. Uh, Martha Wakefield from uh, uh, from New Hampshire. And they, no, I'm sorry, from Massachusetts. And they really challenged me. And I love the challenge. And the, the way that they, you know, critique my work and question my work because that helped me move forward. At still, if I feel that somebody has something that I can learn from that person, I will go and I'll enroll in that workshop because I I need that tool. I wasn't, you know, I don't have an orthodox career where all the tools are given to you. And here I have one tool here, one tool there, one knowledge here, there, but somebody else can say, okay, think about poetry and make that poetry a painting. That would be something that I admire in so many people. And because they are able to tell that story, you know, translate from that poetry into, into a visual arts. I think that's, that's wonderful. And I think Maine has really excellent painting, painting, painting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are yeah. one of them. <laughs> I don't put myself there. Uh, I, I, no, I'm, you know, it's going to sound like false modesty, but no, I don't think I have arrived. I don't think I will ever be content with what I, what I do, because I always feel that there will be something else. The same was for my other career. Uh, people say, oh, you're like, I say, yeah, I'm becoming respectable because I'm old. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, now I said, I don't, I say, I don't consider prizes or anything like a major accomplishment. I think it's what you carry in your heart, it's my, but I, I will never stop. I will never stop. I love that you're humble and modest. Well, I, that's me. I, I don't, you know, again, my former career, whatever went wrong was my fault. Whatever went well, I said, people in my lab did it, which was true, they did it. I might have you know, done something, but the buck stops with me. And that's just matter of, <laughs> of being. That's what I was taught at home, take responsible for that, you are. And the bad things you're responsible. The other ones, spread them around. What else can I say? That's some good tip of advice. Uh, that's good advice for people to own the bad things and acknowledge that there's a team that makes a good thing happen. Yeah, yeah, there is a team and they, you know, they, they, they were, or oh, they are excellent people, excellent people because I was so fortunate to have people from all over the world that went through my lab. And I still, I'm still in contact with them and, and wish them happy birthday. When this is a happy birthday, somebody died and we all, uh, get to not get together, but at least exchange messages and so on. But it's you know, so I you know I have found the same here in Maine, at, at least you know around the people that they are surrounding me in my the town that I live. 
And I, I wanted to reflect that also at the painting, one of my paintings, or two of my paintings at the, at the main state house. This is the town where I live. And so I wanted to show the, the good things of <laughs> small towns. Of course, there are some bad things, but let's put them aside. Right, right. Another time. Someone else <laughs> yeah, can another do that. time, yes. yes. Um, I'm glad you brought up the main state house. Can you tell us about that exhibit? Uh, well, I think I was, I had to pinch myself when I was asked because I was like, are they asking me? And, you know, what's, what a magnificent place with where the paintings or the portraits of all governors, main governors are there. And there are, you know, several main artists being represented in on the walls in there. I consider that an honor. And what, so it was a challenge. And many nights doubting, like, shall I say no? I'm not, but then the other me said, yes, you can, you say yes, because you have the strength to push this, to get, to put it together. So, so I did. And, and, and uh, you know, I thank Martha, please cook us for approaching me with that. You know, I had eternal gratitude to her. And, but um, I, I'm, I'm just, just honored to be there. And I'm honored people that I know many other artists from me have exhibited there. So I'm, hey, uh, what am I to complain? I'm just happy that I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> I don't see it any other way than being happy, but not be, not saying, okay, this is, I arrived. No, I have not. I'm just beginning in that sense. On the journey, right? I'm on the journey. I think every we all are on the journey. Mm -hmm. And we don't see it as the okay, this is the way that we're walking. And we have to do this, do that, and but just keep on walking, keep on moving. And and you know, you keep creating. Life is short, why not make it make it more productive? And and do whatever you love. And I love painting. Therefore, I'm doing it. <laughs> And did you make all new pieces for that exhibit? Uh, no. Some of them have been exhibited uh, in, in other places. One that was the that series called Chiribiquete because that's a, but based on a, in the national park in Colombia that is very much unknown to people where for thousands and thousands of years, indigenous people used to do rock art. And that was discovered just by accident and it's just a part. I've never been there, but I put. I read what the people who discovered that uh, the the description of the art art in the you know. And I see the pictures of the water. I said, my gosh, the rocks, the plants, all the vegetation is amazing. So I'm like, I'm going to make my interpretation of this. So only one of those was created for for the exhibit. The other ones I have had them in my in my studio and, and some of them have gone in, into other galleries and one piece belongs to one collector. Uh, wait a minute, no, three pieces belong to two to collectors. And so uh, I just put them together. The curators, uh, the main arts commission, they made, they chose what they, what they felt it was, uh, what should be the topic for the, focus of my, of my, of the exhibit. So, but I have more that <laughs> I don't know what to do with them. Yes. 
they're for sale too. We'll oh yeah, no, they are, of course they yeah, are. Yes. Of course they are. I want them out of my studio. <laughs> Speaking of which, how can people get in touch with um, you, Mr. Jorge? Well, I I would say um, the best thing will be to call me at my home phone number. It's 207-882-4155. It's the best way uh, to, to call me. I don't say call me my, my cellular phone number because I where I almost never listen to the messages. So people complain, call me at home better. So crazy me. I love it. You're a landline guy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a stealer. <laughs> um, I'm curious when you were talking about the curation of the exhibit at the Maine State, um, how do you get in touch with previous purchase or buyers and, and decide that, oh, could we borrow this? So what, what's the thought process oh, behind that? Okay, what, what I did was that I know all, all these people. And, and so I asked them, I said, when the curators were going to look at my work, my work I said, can I borrow that, that painting from you? Because I thought these paintings were, sorry, I'm not going to be modest here. Those were good paintings, those were paintings I can say, okay, they're, they're finished, they're done, they're finished, they're good paintings. And few, many, not students say, few, many of my paintings, that's not finished. And I'm like, that is not finished yet. And still need to do a little bit more to it. And so that's that's how I went. I just asked them and then very, they they gave me their the pieces that they have bought. And, uh, I made it clear to them that the exhibit ends in August. So they are happy that that's, that's not. Several other paintings that they weren't part of the topic, they were more figurative, more about more personal stories of my life. As uh, a black man, as you know, black family in Colombia, uh, they considered that which they were good, they were not part of the subject for, the, for this exhibit. I'll leave that for another time. And so, yeah. Well, I didn't realize that you identified as a black man from Colombia, right? Well, I mean, because you never know. I've met some Africans who were darker than me and they didn't consider themselves black. They I am, you just don't know how proud I am that my grandparents were black. There was, of course, there was a mix of Indian. There were, in my family, you can find everything you can even find people from uh from that emigrated from lebanon uh people that my father called my cousins i'm like my god they have blue eyes they're white and but my father said i'm going to go and visit my cousins this black man said i'm going to visit my cousins and they were they were i mean they were really white and, and but that, he was their cousin and they were his cousins and you can see it in my in, in my family, in my partner. Once that we went to a, a party in, in, in Colombia, and for all my cousins came, he said, "Oh my gosh, they are the, from the real black, 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 black to the blonde ones." <laughs> and I said, "That is the rainbow." I said, "That is." I said, "That's my family." I said, "That's who we are," and uh, you know, and we remain very, very close. So it really, it really doesn't matter, really. And people say, you know, don't, but what's the same for Martin Luther King, don't, don't judge me by the color of my skin. I'm like, well, that is my color, but 
those that has to do dinner, but hey, you know, this is the skin that I inhabit and also my background and my forebears are with me all the time and I just love telling their stories because several of my nieces and nephews don't, don't know them and when they ask, I tell them. I just met in May uh, the son of a second cousin of mine and she didn't know anything. He didn't know anything about my family. I, I met him in New York, very young man. And I said, okay, I'm going to tell you a story about you, your grandfather. I'm going to tell you a story about this and this. And he was like, nobody told me that. I said, well, they should have told you. I said, if not, I am going to tell you. So I told him because I think that's, I don't think we should ever forget where we came from and what's really the, you know, which tree did we come from? I think there is a lot of strength into that, that when you know what you, and that, that gives you, I think, lots of inner strength that you can push forward, you know, failures, whatever you're like, well, he wouldn't have stopped if that came, that came through you because I got so many, many failures, like many people have. And, but then, well, you know, you fall, you dust yourself up and you keep on going. What else can you do? They stay down? No, that's not in me. So that, what else can I tell you about that? <laughs> well, I love that you're the family historian. You're making sure that the future generations know about their family and their background. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I guess that role landed on me when one of our older cousins, which she was like the head of the, she was the head of the family after all of our parents died. And, but when she passed away, you are, I asked several of my cousins and the answer was, oh, I don't know. She was the one who knew. I'm like, come on. <laughs> so I started digging into that and seeing, you know, what, and questioning things. What, what, what happened to this person? Where would that person be? Things like that. And because, you know, it's, again, it's one tree and, and and we, we are one, basically. So, um, happy Pride Month. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I had the flag in the, at my, in my house, yeah. Have you gone to any um, parades? No, or, because yeah. <laughs> as it happens, we have a big house. So we had a good number of visitors uh, during the last one week and a half. So right now I'm like, okay, let's sit down. And I might, yeah, I will I will see what there are celebrations this weekend. And I used to parade mostly in, in Brunswick. And they were like, I remember the first time, 15 people parading in the street. And we were like back and forth the street and nobody was there. And now it's this huge, humongous uh, celebration. And you know, it's just human beings, you know, celebrating their existence. And I think that's, that's, that's what we, we should celebrate that. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like we've covered so much and thank you again, Ore, for well, spending no, time with thank me. Thank you. I, I thank you so much for listening to me. So. Is there anything that you would like listeners to know about you that we haven't talked about? Well, if they feel that they should know more about me, they can call me. <laughs> okay. Speaking of which, Jorge, what's the plug? How can people reach you if they want to purchase your amazing art? Uh, I would say, again, the best way would be to call me at my, my home phone number, 207-882-4155. Uh, 
that's that would be the, the best one thank you well I'll thank you If you like what you've heard and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show.